This morning I was uh, finishing getting ready and I was uh, going to put gel in my hair and I had one of those moments where I raised my hands to do that and I have this dagger going through my back. Have you ever had that? And it's not your spouse, but it's like your back starts tweaking and twinging. So I crumpled up onto the bathroom sink and was trying to figure out, okay, what position can I get into where I can breathe? So um, anyhow, I share that with you to say, two Percocets and two muscle relaxers, relaxers later, here I am, okay? So if I start slurring my words, you will know why. I'm not having a heart attack. Uh, it's just uh, the meds are enabling me to stand here and breathe, okay? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I know I should end it there, but I feel compelled to tell you another story, okay, which has nothing to do with our message today, but I'm sure I can make it happen. I remember one time, other time this happened to me, and on it was a, I don't know what, what I was thinking, but on a Friday, uh, we kind of, I had a wedding on a Saturday, and on that Friday, we, I was trying rollerblading for the first time, you know? So Saturday, I, you can tell where this is going. Saturday, I get up and have the same thing happen, and the only position I could get in was this. To where I could breathe. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to do a wedding like I'm calling a huddle the entire time. Which, again, someone had a muscle relaxer and a Viking at that time, which made me be able to move. So ever since then, um, I've had some pain meds in my arsenal for said reason. Okay? So thank you for caring. I just want to say that. Okay? So anyhow. Um, anyhow, um, I wanna, we're going to start a new series, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, and on the slides called uh, Big Ten Values. And yes, we're going to go to the Ten Commandments. But what I want us to look at is from the scope of building our families. Okay? I want to take a look at it from the perspective. If you were here last week, I showed a video of John MacArthur talking about the heart. And he basically said, uh, in a sense, that <clears throat> if the heart goes unchecked, if a heart goes unchecked, and runs rampant, uh, we're, we're in a bad situation, a very bad situation. And so what he was doing was, someone had asked him about uh, how this kind of pertained to Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, a few a few weeks ago. And he basically said, you know, and, and, and this was his opinion, uh, I tend to probably align with it. He said, it really doesn't have anything to do with slavery per se, or racism and things like that, but it has to do with man's heart going unchecked. If our hearts go unchecked, they're going to go in a, in a place that is not good. Uh, we can call that the original sin. We can call it depravity. Whatever you want to call it. If a heart is left unregenerated in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it is going to go in a place that is very, very bad and dark. And so what he said last week was there were three things that God put in place to help constrain the heart. Okay, three things that would help constrain the heart, kind of outside, um, kind of outside the grace of Jesus in a sense, because what he was saying was these constraints do help kind of keep some sort of order. Okay, now once we uh, become believers, our hearts uh, change. Uh, hopefully, that's I mean, because that's what should happen. If your heart's not doesn't change after you after Christ has entered into your life, something is wrong. But until that point, there's three constraints that he said, and I agree with him. The first one is 
moral consciousness, moral code. C.S. Lewis talked about this moral code that it seems like every human being has, whether they're a follower of Christ or not. Most, most humans have this moral code inside of them that says murdering someone else is not right, right? I mean, you really don't have to be taught that. Like, oh, wow, that's a revelation. We shouldn't kill other people, you know? There's certain things like that. He said once that moral code is eradicated, that constraint is lifted and the heart goes in, in, in a rampant bad way. Okay, And he said that's what we saw in Charlottesville. The second constraint that God, and we're going to talk about more today and in the weeks to come, the second thing that God has placed as a constraint over our hearts is the family, is the rod of discipline, where we raise our kids with this, with this and hopefully we, we have a faith in Christ, where we begin to raise our kids with a different set of beliefs, right? A different set of values than what the world teaches. And once that's lifted, the heart can go in, in various rogue places as well. The third thing he said was the sword, which would be our governing bodies like our police, our governments, and things like that. When you start eradicating those three constraints, the heart is left completely unchecked. I would agree with where he's going with that. I agree uh, specifically with that. Uh, and again, that's not he's not saying those three things replace the you know the the salvation with Jesus and our hearts are completely regenerated he's just simply saying that in in the world that that is uh those are three constraints that God has placed today i want to talk to you about the second one families I, you know i i don't i don't know if we would have the need i'm not so sure we'd have the time but i'm not so sure we have the need for me to stand here and communicate to you. I think we're all kind of, I'm assuming we're all kind of in here on the same, kind of the same playing field where we realize that raising our families in the Word of God is, is the right thing to do. Raising our families, raise, teaching our kids, um, teaching them, uh, what it means to be, you know, to grow up to be a man, to grow up to be a, a woman, to, uh, the, you know, and especially in the ways of God, I, I would assume, I would assume that most of us if not all of us in here would say, okay, I can, I can agree with that. So I want to talk to you about that. Because that's what we're called to do as parents. And just because your kids may have graduated and, and you're an empty nester now, doesn't mean you're off the hook either. You still have influence over your children, regardless of how old they are. You may say, well, no, I don't. They don't listen to me. But you still have a sense of, of, of influence. You still have, have a, put it to you this way, you still have an obligation. Right to continue to to to, to um, sh- demonstrate your values, where you're saying my values are coming from the Word of God. Okay, so I want to start from there, and I want to start, you know, as we talk about in this series, the Big Ten, building our families on a solid foundation, building our families on the foundation and the values in which God teaches. Okay, so with that being said, would you please turn with me to Deuteronomy, and we're going to go back and look at chapter six. And we're going to look at two verses there found uh, in 6 and 7. Deuteronomy, if you go clear to the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy is about uh, a few books in, okay? So you're going to go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all right? Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. The first five books, just so if you're ever on a quiz show... Or if you want to press your family, it might, may not be as biblically intelligent as you are. 
The first five books are often called the Pentateuch, written by Moses. Penta means five. Uh, and then there's some other Hebrew, which we can go into later, but I'm not going to now, about the, the way the, the Old Testament is divided up and the way they used it for their teaching, or used it for their teaching. But in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses, uh, God's given Moses the law. So these are God's people, okay? God is raising up a nation, and He's bringing them out of Egypt. He is leading them. He is demonstrating Himself to, to show them that He's faithful, that they can trust in Him. He is, um, so He's raising Himself up a nation. This is the covenant that He has in, uh, uh, initiated with Abraham saying, uh, you know, you guys are gonna be, uh, you guys are gonna be numerous. You're gonna be, this is, this is my nation. So God gives them, His nation, the laws, the precepts in which they're going to live by. Okay? God says, if you're my family, you're my nation, this is how you're going to be governed. This is what you're going to look like. This is what's going to shape you. These are the values you're to teach your family. Okay? So, if you would look at chapter 6, chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. Chapter 6 and verse 6, listen to what he says. He says, these words that I'm giving you today, what words? The, the, the law, the Ten Commandments. These were, you know what, let's back up. Let me, let me start with verse one, we'll go to verse seven. He says this, this is the command, the statutes and ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God. And we're gonna, we're gonna do a series on fear. Because I want to, you know, what that means, that awe-inspiring fear of God. What does that mean? Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of His statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Verse 3, listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? Crowd participation. The Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus would quote this later in the New Testament when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says this, and to love your neighbors. Love God, love others, right? Love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your, what? Hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So God is telling Moses, I want you to tell my people this is what it's all about. These are the values and the foundation in which you are to build your life upon. No ifs, ands, buts about it. No, well, this, these are good suggestions. Or, hey, you know what? Try these. God's saying, you're my people. 
This is what I want. This is what should characterize you as my followers. Okay? Jesus came. Now, this is still, the law isn't, and when we look at the law here, we don't look at it and say, we don't say, well, this is Old Testament. We don't have to do any of these things in the New Testament. That's, that's not right. Okay? That's incorrect thinking. The law doesn't bring salvation. Jesus brings salvation. So observe, just observing the law is not going to save you. The Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is what saves you. Jesus came in the New Testament. He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And we talked about it uh, either last week or the week before where Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm saying, if you even think negatively or think angrily about someone, that's the same as murdering. Right? The law says, don't commit adultery, but I say even if you lust, if you even look at someone with, with those eyes, that's considered the same. Jesus didn't take the law and say, okay, we're done with that, now it's all about grace, which it is about grace. But he didn't say, okay, we're done with those things. Jesus took those and said, we're going to amp these up. We're amping them up. Okay? So this isn't stuff we look at and say, okay, well that's Old Testament, that doesn't really, doesn't really apply to me. It's not going to save you, but this is what undergirds, this is what we build our lives on. This is the foundation in which we look at, and this is what we build our, we build our families on. God says to them, I'm giving, He says, I'm giving these to you today, I want you to put them in your heart. And he said, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. Everything you do, keep talking about these. Keep these before you at all times. Put them on your hands. Put them on your foreheads. Put them on your doorposts. Essentially, what he's, this isn't something where I think we look at it and we say, okay, he said, now put them on the doorpost. So we put them on our doorpost. Could you put them on your doorpost? Absolutely. The bigger concept here is this. Do these things at all times. Think about them at all times. That's the concept. Whatever you have to do to keep these things before you, at all times do it. Now, I don't know about you, but when you kind of study the human mind or you just kind of think about the human mind, one thing that the human mind is awesome about doing, and especially as we get older, is this. Forgetting. Right? When they start crossing over into the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, that God said, I'm going to bless you with all this. This is your land. I want you to go in and take it. He said, he, Joshua told them, don't forget. Because when things get easy, what do we do? We forget. Some of us have been through some really hard times in our lives. And, and, and places, seasons in our lives where we would never, ever, ever, ever want to go back to. But as we look back when God and God took us through that time, God took us through that season. Was it painful? Absolutely, it was painful. Was it hard? Absolutely, it was hard. But but there are times if you went through a season where you had to lean so hard on God because that's all you had, it was a time where God just demonstrated himself to you over and over again in, in a very profound way. It is so easy when we get on the other side of that and we become more blessed to forget about where we just came from. To forget about what, how God met all of our needs. How God sustained us. How God led us. How God protected us. How God got us through all kinds of situations that there is absolutely no way we could ever do it on our own. Our minds are easy to forget. And I think on top of that, you have Satan coming in and you begin to really forget. Where God, God's saying, 
remember, remember, remember. Whatever you do, remember to teach these to your kids real quick. Recipe for strong values. Okay, that's what I want to look at. This is a recipe for strong family values. Okay, now, let me, I want to ask, this is going to be crowd participation, but we've got to go fast, okay? And I want you to help me out a little bit here, okay? Uh, first of all, let me share this with you real quick. At some point, I'm going to be offering a, a class that I would like to do, if we can, on Wednesday evenings, okay? And the, the class will be called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There's a book called Peter, by Peter, Peter Cesaro, wrote Emotionally Healthy Church, which took off like crazy. And then he, st- he wrote another book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is kind of like the healthy church, but principled into our personal lives. And he just recently, not too long ago, came out with a book called Emotionally Healthy Leadership. Emotionally healthy, and he says this, and I agree with him 100%, you can't be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature, okay? It is a very, very profound study, a very great book that will help deepen you in your walk with Christ. I guarantee it, because you're going to look at stuff that you never thought contributed to your spiritual walk, okay? For instance... This is what God says to build our families on, right? These are the Ten Commandments. These are the big, these are the big ten, right? These are the big values we build our family. Now let me ask you this question. What were the big ten in your family? What were the Ten Commandments in your family? Was it, you know, okay, you know, was it, was it the, was it kind of like these, but kind of broken out more? Or did they look a little bit different? Let me just share with you a little snapshot. And if you, if you sign up and go through this, um, go through this study with us, hopefully there will be many of you where come together and we can take a look at this. Let me share with you what a lot of families, and you'll see this, it'll be familiar to you once, if you come. But, uh, let me share with you kind of the big ten of a lot of families. When I do counseling, a lot of these pop. Just boom, 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 boom. Listen to these. These are like the big ten of families. Money. That's like number one, right? Money. Money. It's the best source of our security. And the more money, the more important you are. How many of us, I wonder, and sitting in here would say, yeah, that was my family. The more money you have, the more secure you feel, right? Not about spending, you know, not about getting into the Word, but it's more about, you know, this is this is a bigger one. It's those unspoken, uncommunicated ones, in a sense, money could be one. Conflict. How many of you grew up in a family that says, avoid conflict at all costs? Avoid it at all costs. If you do get into conflict, the more, the more loud and angry you are, you're going to win. And that's what you need to do. And oh, by the way, if you do get into conflict, it is a win-lose situation. It's not win-win. It's a win-lose situation. Whatever you do, you have to win. That's what happens, okay? How about sex? We're not going to talk about that one, right? Don't talk about that. We're not going to discuss it openly. However, it's okay if the men are a little bit more promiscuous, but the women can't be, right? How about grief and loss? This is where sadness is a weakness. Don't you dare show your sad. Don't show others that you're sad because that's weak. Don't lean in to someone else because that's showing that you're weak. And oh, by the way, you can never, ever be depressed. If you are depressed, don't ever, ever talk about it. And heaven forbid, don't ever go for counseling or anything like that. And don't ever, don't ever deal with it in ways that just, just you know what, avoid it. Don't be depressed, right? Oh, okay, I won't be depressed. Check, okay. How about expressing anger? It's dangerous and it's bad, right? But it's okay to explode to make a point. And oh, by the way, 
Guilt is a great motivating factor. So if you need to use guilt to motivate your, you know, to motivate, go ahead and use guilt. How about family? You owe your parents, right? You owe your parents. And oh, secondly, don't ever, ever talk about the dirty laundry in your family. Don't ever taint the family name by talking about some of the dirty laundry in your family. Meaning that if it ever comes up in your life where you're struggling with something, don't share it with anybody else. The family name is much more important than you becoming whole or receiving healing. Okay? So we've got money, we've got sex, we've got grief and loss, we've got conflict, how to express anger, we've got family, relationships. Don't trust anybody. They're only going to hurt you. Don't trust anybody. And especially, and this is where we're really at in today's society, don't trust authority figures because they're out to get you. Every single one of them. It doesn't matter what position it is. If they're over top of you, don't trust them because they're out to get you. Attitude towards other cultures. Only close people that that are like us. Only get close to people that are like us and never marry outside of that. Don't marry outside of not just races, but don't marry outside of kind of like our family culture, right? Um, success. The best school, you gotta go to the best schools. You gotta get the best grades. You gotta go to the best schools. You gotta make lots of money and you gotta have a family with kids. That's when you're gonna be successful. Feelings and emotions. Uh, we won't even talk about that one, right? Feelings and emotions. Certain feelings are taboo. We're not going to talk about certain feelings. Don't tell me about your feelings, okay? Suck it up. Don't share with me your feelings. Uh, we're not. We're just not going to talk about them. And second of all, don't ever act upon them, okay? Because they're always false, completely false. Does any of these sound familiar to you? Probably not. Until, until we sit one-on-one in my office and you're struggling in your marriage because your spouse didn't get raised with the same Ten Commandments as you did. Or, don't even come in and talk to anybody. Just let your marriage crack and just, you know, crumble because these are Ten Commandments that we don't, you know. See what I'm saying? If, if we're not aware of what's taking place, we can have these uncommunicated um, expectations that we put on our spouses and our kids or whatever to when our kids come out or, or whoever we come out, we have this completely different view of what to build our families on. Would you agree with that? Let me convince you a little bit more then. First of all, I want to share this with you, which I'm really excited about, to be honest with you. I'm excited about anything that we do here, but uh, as, as we shared, there's a class coming up that's going to be on Sunday evenings, okay? If you could hit that slide. Uh, there's a family Bible study coming, uh, and it's going to be, it's in your program, and I want you to check it out. I want you to read it. Um, Ryan Dobson. But I want you to look at, look at the, look at the little bit of information there. It says this. It asks us, does your faith determine the direction of your life? Does your faith determine the direction of your life? Uh, how do you keep your faith alive? What do your actions with your spouse and children say about your beliefs? That's what we just talked about. What, what, what's your Ten Commandments? What do they say about your beliefs? The way you view money, what does it say? Because it does communicate what you truly believe. All these things, how to deal with conflict, whatever it is, it communicates what you truly, truly believe. Okay? 
And it goes on to say, um, how can you pursue each family member, helping him or her feel loved? Again, how does your faith affect the way you treat those around you? It's a four-week study. It'd be a great study to jump into and begin to discuss these things. As I said earlier, and we're not competing, but as I said earlier on Wednesday evening, I want to take us through that course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It is a great course. Now, you may say, well, I don't have time. Well, we're going to talk about that here very briefly because we don't have time, right? But we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. The first thing I want to share with you is this today. Building on the Big Ten is this. Uh, God says this in Exodus 20, verse 3. He says this, don't have any other gods besides me. Do not have other gods. By the way, you do not capitalize the G in this sentence. I've had people say, hey, you've got to capitalize. No, you don't. Because those gods are the false gods. They're, it's not a real god. There's only one God that we capitalize, and that's Yahweh, right? That's God, the creator of the world. Do not have other gods beside me. Well, I don't have other gods. There's not other gods that I bow down to. I hear about these other gods and, and you know, certain other religions and things like that. R- correct, you do. Uh, and there's also gods in our lives called time, money, um, uh, prestige, power, possessions. I mean, let's just continue down the line. There are things within our lives that we place priority over the big G God and we serve the little G gods. You know, and we're going to, I want to share with you just a couple of these real quick here. So the question becomes, if you're like me, the question would be like this. Okay, then how do I put God at the center of my life? Because I do believe that's very important. How do I do that then? Okay, that's a great question. Five areas I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, money. We've been talking about this. I'm not trying to beat your head with money. That's not my point. But that is a way that we put God at the center of our lives. I don't like to do the list thing where we say God's number one. Because then it's like, in my mind, if God is at the center, everything in our lives are affected by the center, right? Every single area of our lives is affected when we have God at the center of our lives. So how do we put him at the center of our lives and no one else, no other God? Uh, listen to what, money's one of them. Listen to what uh, Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10 says. It says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Modern day translation, Honor the Lord God with all that you've got and with the first produce, your check, your paycheck. With the first produce, your paycheck. Peel 10% off. We just use the 10% thing. It's not a legalistic issue. It's just a model. It's just a, a way that we, you know, the, the scriptures teaches about tithe, 10%. And it says what? We place God at the center of our lives. Well, I can't afford to do that. You can't, you're right. You can't afford not to do that. Some of us are in financial issues because God is not the center of our lives. God doesn't own our paycheck. God doesn't own our bank account or our wallets. Money is a huge one. You want to keep God at the center of your your life. Now, again, this isn't legalistic, so don't hear me saying that if I tithe, then that automatically makes me spiritually mature. No, it doesn't. If your heart is not in it, it doesn't matter what you do. It's submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we look at our our money and we say, you know what, everything I have is God's anyhow. And regardless of how much I make, I'm going to be committed at keeping God at the center of my life because that's where that, that enables us to, 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 again, allow Him to have control over, over, over our finances. The second thing is interests. Okay? Interests. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. 
That means you can have other interests. That means you can get into photography. That means you can get into sports. That means there's all kinds of different things you can get into. All right? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with those things. But why do you do them? Anything you take on in your life, why do you do them? Why do you do it? Is it to bring God glory? Because everything we do can bring God glory. If the intent of your heart is to bring God glory, your life can bring God glory through any and every single thing. Paul writes and says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That should be the underlying motivation for everything. That's one of the ways we keep God at the center of our lives, which says, whatever I do, I'm going to keep God at the center and I'm going to bring Him glory. By the way, you want to find out what someone what really grabs them? They're going to talk about it all the time. You're going to talk about what really passionately drives you. The next one is this, influences. I remember, you know, and I'm sure you did too. I'm sure this is an old one, but I remember growing up, my family was like, you know, you run with the wolves, you're a wolf, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then there's those times you get in trouble because part of the wolf pack got in trouble and you're part of the wolf pack, right? Even though you may not have done something, that sounds really cheesy and trite, but it's amazing the truth behind some of those things. Listen to what Proverbs 27:19 says. What a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. You want to be a negative person? Hang around a bunch of people that are negative. You're going to become negative. You want to hang you want to be positive? Hang around a bunch of people that are positive. You want to grow deeper in your walk with Christ? Hang around people that that's their passion, that that's their interest, and 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 and, their, and that becomes part of your influence, your circle. Some of us we don't want that because we're not interested in that. We don't want it to be that. Who what who influences you? Who are the authors you, you read? The movies that you watch? The music that you listen to? Again, let me throw another trite one at you, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? Don't you just want to like, oh, heard that a million times. There's so much truth to that. Who influences you? Who do you hang around with? Time is another one. Time. Listen to Ephesians. Paul says this, making the most of time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Guys, as they say, the road to hell is paved with great intentions. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. We just recently experienced in my personal life something that kind of brought everything back to crashing down to reality to say, yep, I've been saying I'll get to it and it's here. I'll get to it and then it comes crashing in out of your control and you stand back and you're like, we've been talking about this for years and we haven't done one thing about it and now we're in a situation where we're processing it and having to deal with it time you want to keep god at the center of your life if that's truly what you want to do you need to guard your time and you need to commit uh, your time to him find out what god's will is for your life discern god's will for your life and build your life upon that you know it's very interesting to me um, that jesus as the worship team if you guys would come on back up I, when you read through the New Testament, have you ever read the times? Have you ever leaned in and just read how, the times where Jesus slipped away to be alone with his father? Now, some would say, well, he's just modeling that for people to come. Maybe. I'm not so sure I buy that, though. I think Jesus from Philippians where he laid aside 
who he was. He laid aside a lot of his attributes, okay? Before he came to earth to take on the, 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 the to take on, uh, the portion of humanity, become flesh, he was, he could be, um, in all places at one time. That was part of, that's part of the attributes of God. He is God. When he came to earth, he came under the laws kind of of nature, you know, in a sense. He was one man on this earth. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time and other attributes and things like that. It's amazing that Jesus would slip off into the dark hours, early morning, or even while he was ministering, people would just come to him and he had to slip away. I think part of that was he knew his limitations as, as being part God, fully God but fully man. I get It's a paradox. I get it. But I think part of the reason why he did that is because he had to spend that those moments with his father. The first time he was really separated, in a sense, physically, from his father. And he's, I think he had to spend much time with his heavenly father to discern the will of the father to make sure he continued to stay on track. But I believe it was for fellowship and all kinds of different things. Jesus made time with the father a major priority. A verse in Jeremiah says this, My people have forgotten me for days on end. Again, back to that forgetfulness. Keeping God at the center of our lives means we need to have a daily appointment uh, with Him. And the last one I want to share with you is support. Who's your support system when you think about it? Or let me ask you this. Well, Psalm 50.15 says this. Look at this verse. Call me. Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you honor me. How many of us that Jesus is the first one we call to when we get in a jam? How many of us we automatically think of we drop to our knees or whatever and we think, you know what, I gotta call, I gotta call on God. God makes this promise and says, call on me in a day of trouble and I'll rescue you. I will help you. I will lead you. I love that song we sang, Carry Me, which Scott, uh, Lord wrote. And, and if you remember, he, he said that when he, when you wrote that song, it was a time where, um, footprints in the sand, that, 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 um, um, that, that poem or whatever we want to call it, that writing meant a lot to you. You think about that. In a time of trouble, God's going to rescue us. We may not understand it, but, but, but He's going to rescue us. There's only going to be one footprint in the sands per se, because He's carrying us. And, and, and God says, call on me in a day of trouble. Call on me, because I'm the one that's going to rescue you, and you'll honor me. Let me share something real quick as I close. There's a great, there's a great formula to understand whether God's truly at the center of your lives, and it kind of falls in this one right here. When you go through a jam, do you feel completely hopeless? Again, I get that as humans, we're going to feel certain emotions. I understand that. But I think there's a point where we all know when we cross that line and worry begins to consume us. Thinking about something all the time where we begin to worry about it is a great indicator that God is truly not at the center because we're not calling upon Him and we're not, you know, resting in Him. Guys, I'm human. I am not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because there are certain telltale signs in our lives that truly show us if God is completely at the center of our lives. I believe these five areas is a way to start. I believe these are five critical areas in which all of us could look at our lives and say, where's my time at, my influences? Where's my support group? Who, who do I place 
my most trust in and my support, my money. Are all of these things controlled by God or is it controlled by me? And if we are at the root of, of controlling these things, that means God is not controlling in complete control in our lives. That means we, that He's wrestling for the driver's seat of our lives. As we continue on this series, I pray that you would just really lean in with me as we talk about these things. Are they going to be hard? Absolutely, they're hard. It goes against the grain of our humanity, of our fallenness. It goes against the grain of our society that we live in. We're constantly bombarded with the antithesis of what these values, this book teaches. The antithesis. I mean, we're, we're in it, man. It's like jumping in a pool of water it's 20 feet deep. We're in it and we tread we tread water. And there's times where we take on water. But the question is, are we going to believe this and allow this to permeate who we truly are and build our lives upon this? Are we going to teach our kids this? Are we going to spend intentional times with our kids teaching them who Jesus is and how much God loves them? And how God wants to have this relationship with them? Or do we just kind of take it and say, eh, you know, things will, it'll happen. Some of us are stretched so thin because God's not the center of our lives. Now, you'll, we'll sit and argue that. We will sit and argue and debate. We'll say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Okay? Okay? What's that mean for you then? What does that mean for your family? If something's truly truly important we'll make time we'll make time we'll put effort into it we'll find the resources for it if it's truly something we believe in guys I'm with you I've got four young kids and I want to tell you something one of the things that's on my mind constantly right now is am I diligently and intentionally pouring myself into them Does my schedule, does my time, does my passion, does it reflect something to them that says, yeah, God's part of his life, but God's not at all of his life. I don't want that to be that way. I want them to know, not just that I love Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to have a saving relationship with Jesus. I don't want my kids to grow up getting involved in things like that's happening in our world today. And I want to tell you something. I'm not a doomsdayer, but I don't want my kids to grow up and if they're ever put to the test where their faith lies, I want to know that they're going to put it in Jesus, regardless of the persecution or whatever horrible thing that they may face. But that's going to come by me, partly come by me, investing myself into them and building upon the foundation the values that God is telling you, that God teaches us to build upon. Let me pray, and then let's close with one last song. Go ahead and stand with me, if you will. Pray that you would just have an open heart and open mind. If God, if you would like to pray, please come, and I'd love to pray with you, but just allow the Spirit of God to connect with your spirit here this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the values that you give us. I thank you that you're a God that doesn't just put things into motion and then step back and say go at it but you're a God that's in the middle of it in fact you're a God that got in the middle of it 
Here a God that, 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 that has demonstrated things that other religions can never demonstrate. And that is a God that takes one for the team, literally. A God that set aside who he was and took on the sins of his people. It's unheard of. So you get it. Which gives us a sense of peace and comfort. So I pray right now this morning that instead of us being people that talk about things, say that we value certain things, that it would be demonstrated, those things would be demonstrated in our lives. Thank you that you're not a God that gives up on us, a God that just wants to turn his back on us, but Father, you're a God that continually pursues us and reaches out to us. So I pray that as you gently, as you gently correct us, discipline us, as you gently get our attention, that we would look and we would listen. We would lean in. So Father, I pray that if there are those in here that really need to turn to you, that today be the day that your spirit connects with theirs. They allow your spirit to connect with theirs. theirs. I also pray that if there are those in here, which I know there are people that have built their family and their lives on your values, thank you. And I pray they would continue to model that for us and that they'd be willing to turn and to help mentor and help encourage others along the journey. We love you. We pray that you would just, again, speak to us right now through your spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.